Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Curtis. What follows are four interviews I had in early April 2014 concerning the loss of Malaysian Airlines Flight MH370. In this phase of the investigation, more than four weeks after the disappearance of the flight, one of the main areas of investigation was the location of acoustic pingers associated with the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder. The first of these is a BBC interview I had on the 5th of April 2014. Let's get some more now on the search for the missing Malaysian airliner. Dr. Todd Curtis is a former Boeing safety engineer. He's also the founder of airsafe.com. He's currently in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, Dr. Curtis, what's your analysis of this information about these uh, signals being picked up uh, by the Chinese ship? Well, the most interesting part of this is the response of the Australian organization that's responsible for the search. They didn't seem to uh, take this as a a clear signal that this is from the aircraft. And in fact, the search uh, process for today doesn't really emphasize uh, following up on the Chinese discoveries. So it'll be interesting to see if there's further information coming out of Beijing that explains more fully what they found in the last day or so. Uh, and there are also, it seems, conflicting opinions about this 37.5 kilohertz, the frequency uh, at which these signals have been picked up. And one of the companies that makes these pingers for Honeywell that puts the black boxes together says that it's almost a unique signal. Is that correct or not because of these conflicting opinions? Well, they, the pingers do have a unique signal, but 37.5 kilohertz isn't a unique uh, signal to that device alone. There can be other technology or other equipment, rather, that could be giving off this. Now, it would be made more clear if the Chinese were to provide the actual recordings, if any, that they have of these pings, because then the manufacturers could analyze them more completely to see if there are subtle parts of this signal that will tag it as being from these pingers. We keep hearing that uh, the battery in the black box begins to die after 30 days. We're very, very close to 30 days. But what happens then? Does the signal just become fainter or does it disappear completely? Well, it's unclear because depending on where the pinger is right now, it could be in a position where it's not even clearly broadcasting. Again, it's not clear at all whether or not this pinger is still active, for one, or whether or not its signal could be heard even if the detector were right over it. But how the pinger would would uh, die off depends on the particular uh, model, depends on the condition of that pinger. And that, uh, unfortunately, is unknown. Going on previous experiences of other air accidents, if the black box was to be found from MH370, would that black box provide the technical data that the investigators need to answer their questions? If there was a technical failure, would that data definitely be retrievable? Well, assuming both recorders were intact, it's possible that uh, you may not have uh, total information about that because the flight data recorder has enough uh, capacity to record the entire length of the flight. I believe it's around 25 hours worth of recording capability, and the flight was much less than 10 hours. The cockpit's voice recorder, on the other hand, only records the last two hours of anything that was in the cockpit or transmissions from the cockpit. So anything that happened the first six hours of the flight, which, for all we know, could be the most critical portion of the flight, will not be on the cockpit voice recorder. So it's possible, very key information, for example, warning sounds going off in the cockpit early in the flight, may not be available even if those boxes are found. All right, Dr. Todd Curtis, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. 
The following interview is from Al Jazeera America on the 5th of April 2014. Twice now, the second detection was heard within two kilometers of the original pings and that the Chinese crews were able to hear that for 90 seconds. So now they are saying they have heard those pings twice now in the relatively same location. It is a big development. A lot of people are now uh, feeling a little bit more hopeful. They are at least possibly zeroing in on the location of this missing jetliner. But the authorities there are also making it very clear. They have not found any confirmed reports of the plane. And this is a far way away from actually locating the actual wreckage of that missing plane. I think Todd Curtis, our transportation contributor, is standing by with more on all this. Todd, there you are, Todd. So help us understand the significance of this. The Chinese crews have now heard a ping twice. We don't know if the ping is from the plane, but there's a lot of people thinking it might be. Well, I think from Australian, from the Australian authorities, they gave us a very clear signal. It looks as though they're going to take all the air assets that they have. Uh, over 10 planes and take them to the area where the pings were located. But at the same time, he mentioned that there were some uh, surface assets, some ships, one of which was going to stay, linger at another area where pings were heard. So reading between the lines, it looks as though there's a very strong indication that around the Chinese ship, the Haishun-1, that there's some evidence of, of pinging, but there's at least one other location where that's going on. So these signals are the same frequency as the signals being emitted by uh, the plane's black boxes. That's correct. What else, Todd, if we're playing devil's advocate here, could possibly emit that same kind of signal if it's not the black boxes? Well, various experts in those fields uh, vary as to what else could be uh, giving off something at those frequencies, from military uh, devices to other oceanographic equipment that might be on the ocean floor for other reasons. But uh, again, given the location where this is going on, and the, I would say that the coincidence of having something in that frequency range in the same location as uh, uh, other oceanographic equipment is probably low. So again, depending on how good the equipment in the Chinese ship was, this could either be a verifiable signal or non-verifiable signal, which is why they're sending all of the assets there today. You know, you've been watching this, like so many of us have, for now close to five weeks. We're entering our fifth week in the search for this missing plane. There have been a lot of false leaks. There have been a lot of reports of sighting of possible wreckage, of signals being heard. Uh, when you hear this, this news tonight, how hopeful are you that they seem to be zeroing in on the location of that plane? Well, I'm very hopeful because this is one of those situations where if they can get some recordings of the pinging that they're hearing, if they can analyze this with equipment either on board ships or on board the aircraft or back on land, they'll be able to see if there are nuances in that signal that really pinpoint it as being a pinger from one of these black boxes. And if they can get that kind of verification, then that'll be a very, very clear signal that the black boxes may be there. And as we heard, they're sending ships and planes to that area right now, but also time is kind of of the essence here because the batteries on those black boxes only last about 30 days. And the search has now entered its 30th day here. So, so how much of that is a concern, Todd? Well, in, throughout aviation, th for all kinds of systems, there are requirements that systems have to meet. But in most cases, manufacturers tend to exceed those requirements. So yes, uh, the battery was required to be active for 30 days. But it wouldn't surprise me if you took a random sample of these kinds of uh, pingers and tested them that a good portion of them would last over 30 days. So it wouldn't surprise me if there is still a signal coming out of this. You know, how is it that the Chinese were able to hear this signal, especially since, as we look at the graphic here, 
These signals do not work incredibly well underwater. They do work, but you basically have to be right on top of the black boxes to, to hear that sound. Is this just a case of, of, do you th of, of luck, do you think, of, of the ships stumbling across this signal? Well, I would hope that the Chinese authorities would be a bit transparent on this and give the, uh, the searchers, not just other Chinese ships, but everyone involved in this search, detailed accounts of what their thinking process was that led them to where they were. Because if indeed they're onto something with respect to their search plan, this is something that should be shared with one and all. Yeah, because it's a potentially huge break here. So walk us through what happens next, especially if the signal starts to fade and the batteries start to die on the black boxes. How do they continue searching for the wreckage? Does it now move into sending submarines or underwater uh, vehicles to scan the ocean floor with cameras? What happens next? Well, the first thing will be uh, what's happening right now. That is, they'll, they'll have assets, they'll have other detection systems to confirm whether or not this signal is indeed from those black boxes. And if they do confirm that it is, then they'll what probably very much concentrate their research on that small area. This will turn into a situation uh, somewhat like with what happened five years ago with the Air France aircraft. Uh, they didn't have a signal, but they had a fairly good idea what area of the ocean to look in. So they just had a very methodical search over several different periods over several months and found the aircraft. Now, one of the things that will happen very soon is they'll have to get some idea of what kind of territory they're dealing with. As uh, Mr. Houston said in the briefing, they're talking about water that's roughly two and a half miles deep, which is, uh, may not be an insurmountable problem, but it depends on what's on that bottom. If it's flat and sandy, that'll be one thing. If it's uh, looking like the Rocky Mountains but underwater, it could be far more challenging trying to get to the aircraft. Yeah, the, the hard work is frankly really just beginning at this point. Todd Curtis, thank you so much for your insight tonight. Some, some stunning news, frankly, out of Australia with the search for the missing Malaysian jetliner. Authorities confirming tonight that Chinese crews have heard twice now a signal from the depths of the Indian Ocean. It's on the same frequency as the plane's black boxes, although it is not yet confirmed to be the jetliner, but it is a solid clue and a big hope for so many people waiting to see what happened to that plane. This next interview is from Radio New Zealand on the 7th of April, 2014. Searchers are more optimistic about finding the missing Malaysian Airlines plane, but recovering the black box may not give them all the answers. The coordinator of the search for the missing flight, Angus Houston, says he's more optimistic about finding the jet after an Australian Navy ship got a second ping. We haven't found the aircraft yet. We need further confirmation. There are many steps yet before these detections can be positively verified as being from missing flight MH370. However, Mr Houston describes the development as the most promising lead to date. Well, joining me now to discuss this is the American-based aviation safety analyst Todd Curtis. Hello to you. Uh, thanks for having me. Could these pings that have been detected be anything other than the flight data recorders? It's indeed possible, just like any other uh, uh, electronic device. It could be uh, getting... Uh, a mistaken signal, that is, uh, confusing one signal for something else. There could be a fault within the system. Or there could be something else going on, which is uh, too subtle for the detection systems to discern. So what then does the information that is coming out of Perth tell you about what is happening and what's been discovered? Well, I think the Joint uh, uh, Committee that's searching for uh, 
the boxes, had it right. Mr. Houston had it right. That is, uh, without some confirmational signal, especially from the Ocean Shield, they weren't going to jump the gun and immediately think this is the uh, location of the black boxes. They need to have confirmational information. That is more than a, a couple of sets of signals to confirm that this is indeed the real thing. At what point would you be satisfied? What further information would you need to hear to be sure that it is the black box? Well, I think Mr. Houston once again had it right. He was rather conservative when he said, yes, we'd like to uh, locate this to a much smaller area and then send something down that can actually get physical evidence, a photograph, something that will show that this is indeed the wreckage, that it's not some other kind of device uh, setting off a similar frequency tone, that it's not some spurious signal within the uh, the system, but it's actually an indication that the black boxes are there. How great a task is it to try to pinpoint that right down to that, that really quite small item on the vast seabed? Well, it's a difficult uh, task, but it's one that's been done before. Uh, except for the fact that this is probably deeper than any other aircraft recovery there's ever been. There have been many cases from Flight 800 in 1996 to the Air France uh, crash in 2009, where an aircraft had uh, crashed into the ocean, and there was quite a bit of wreckage on the seafloor, yet they were able to find the black boxes fairly easily and bring them to the surface for analysis. So do you think that is likely to happen here? Certainly, like you're saying, four and a half kilometers deep seems to be the the depth at this point. That's correct. Uh, Technologically, it will be difficult, but not impossible. Uh, The 4,500 meters that uh, they're talking about is roughly 800 meters lower than what the Titanic was, and that was discovered almost 30 years ago. And certainly the technology is at least as good as what was around uh, back during the time that uh, recovery has been done on things like the Titanic and Air France 447. It's uh, probably at the range. In fact, Mr. Houston stated that the submersibles they would use, the depth of the ocean there was at the range of that device. So certainly this will be a a test of any underwater technology that's used for recovery, but it's not an impossible task. That water pressure on the devices will be immense. Is it likely to have damaged them? How how possible is it that useful information can be gleaned from them if they can be recovered? Well, I think it's very probable. In fact, the experience of Air France 447 is probably the best indicator of how resilient these devices are. In that case, the black boxes, the cockpit voice recorder, and flight data recorder were on the ocean floor for about two years, yet they're able to bring those to the surface and extract useful data from both boxes. And uh, unless there was substantial damage in an impact, beyond what you would see in a normal crash. There's no reason to believe that the data within those boxes is still intact and can be usable. Todd Curtis, American-based aviation safety analyst. Many thanks for joining us on Morning Report. This fourth and final interview was from Como Radio in Seattle from April 7, 2014. With us now on the Como Newsline, Todd Curtis from airsafe.com. He's an air safety expert and joins us. Now, Todd, everyone, of course, talking still about Malaysia Flight 370. How does this search compare to other searches for wreckage and black boxes? I don't think there's a precedent for this kind of search, simply because for basically uh, several weeks, it was completely unknown what ocean this plane was in, much less what area of the ocean. Uh, The closest equivalent was five years ago with the search for Air France 447. And then there was a very uh, good idea within a few uh, tens of square miles where the aircraft went down. And still it took several months to to locate 
uh, the aircraft on the surf on the bottom of the ocean in several years before the black boxes were recovered. Now, we keep hearing this term cautiously optimistic from searchers in regard to the sounds they've detected. What else could be emitting these pinging sounds, or is it just kind of a, a big government agency trying to be cautious? I think it's more of the latter than the former, because uh, actually there are two areas where sounds are discovered several hundred miles apart. And quite frankly, it's uh, very likely that one of them was receiving incorrect information or misinterpreting the information. The northern one, which was the Ocean Shield uh, uh, ship that had the detection device, much more sophisticated array of detection devices from the U.S. Navy. And they had a very long period of contacts with the sound, with the uh, pinger, and they were being very careful to go back and forth to locate more precisely on the ocean floor where the sound was emanating from. Uh, Compare that with the Chinese ship, which was, according to the manufacturer, uh, the detection equipment, was using equipment that was not high fidelity enough to really pick up something that deep in the ocean. So it's very likely that the Chinese ship was not picking up anything from the aircraft. Now, even in the best of conditions, you know, if we knew a general flight path before the crash, how difficult is it to locate a black box? Well, it is uh, somewhat difficult, although in the history of uh, aircraft crashes at sea where there has been a substantial effort to recover uh, the wreckage. Uh, there's been a very good record of success getting the black boxes. A Flight 800 back in 1996 was just off Long Island, of course, and that was in water nowhere near as deep as what was going on in the Indian Ocean. And you also had the uh, Egypt Air 767 off Nantucket, which was also in, in, in the ocean. They were able to recover those boxes, Flight 447 as well. So long as the wreckage is generally known, the location is generally known, it's uh, a difficult but not impossible matter to separate the black boxes and arrest the wreckage and bring it up basically before any major wreckage is recovered. Now, if these boxes are found, what questions can be answered and what will still be a mystery to all of us? Well, the biggest remaining mystery will be what was said in the cockpit in the early part of the flight because the cockpit voice recorder is basically on a two-hour continuous loop. It only records the final two hours of conversation. Now, if it were operating the entire flight, it would basically have the final part of the flight and not the first hour where all the changes happen from its planned flight path. If for some reason the uh, voice recorder was disabled shortly after uh, it made the departure from Malaysia, it's possible there could be data on there, but it remains to be seen. There will very likely be very, very good data on the flight data recorder because it has about a 25-hour loop, which means the final flight and possibly a couple of flights prior to that will have extensive data on the aircraft and the state of major systems in the aircraft. Thanks so much for joining us. That's Todd Curtis from airsafe.com. He's the air safety expert who was talking to us about Flight 370 from Malaysia Airlines. Again, more pings being heard by some of those searching vessels. For more information about Malaysia Airlines Flight 370, please visit 777.airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.